0: Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Blackwood, executive pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Hey, relationship status, week three. Let me bring this up here just a hair. Have you enjoyed the last couple weeks talking about our different relationships? It's been fun for me to to speak. I hope you have. If you've missed the last few weeks, you'll want to go back and look at some of those things and and be challenged by them. Our relationships are a big deal. And today we're going to talk about how the Lord wants to receive glory and really help us. Uh, grow in our faith as we navigate our relationships. You saw in the video, there were some comments from kids about parents and that's always scary, right? Especially if you had one of your kids up there and you see them and you're like, what are they gonna say? You know, whatever. And, and trust me, I I know that dynamic and that feeling there. It's always fun. But uh, the premise for today is that as we look through Scripture, there are so many different opportunities for us to see how that one generation can have impact on another generation, and and vice versa. Right? That we are not here, not ever been called to grow in our faith in Jesus in a vacuum uh, by ourselves. This was never intended to be a, a a lone ranger type of effort, and we we can learn from each generation. We can be challenged by each generation, and we can be better as as the body of Christ when, when we do this. This past week, I I just kind of took a dangerous step, and I sent in our family uh, group text here. I love my kiddos, and they're all adults now, and uh, so they different perspective, obviously. Uh, but uh, and it's good, it's great, it's. Uh, but I sent them a couple questions, and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm preaching this Sunday on." On, on generations and how we, we help each other in different generations. Some of that has to do within a parenting context, but it's not just limited to that. So tell me, what, was, what were some of the best things that, that, that mom and I did in raising you as children? And then the dangerous question was, hey, tell me some areas that we bombed, like it was bad, like it just really messed it up. That's a dangerous question. Moms, dads, there's some, some uh, lunchroom, uh, uh, lunch conversation for you. Like, ask those questions. See, it, you probably will be surprised. What was interesting in the responses from my kiddos was that major- the majority of the positive things really had little to do with um, parenting techniques or different things that we did, they, they had a lot to do with the environment that we placed our kids in. They had a lot to do with the atmosphere of the home. They had a lot to do with with that, that, that environment and in the, the right environment, the right things grow, right? And so it was interesting that there was a common thread that had to do with um, schooling and different um, um, elements there. And my kids were all in uh, public school, and uh, just they 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 really reflected in that conversation. They were glad. Uh, and that God had used those moments to grow within them the stability and the strength that they feel even right now. Does that mean that that's right for every family now? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in that context, even the the years past, that's the experience. Um, One of the things they shared uh, was that, um, I think, I can't remember which one, and I think it was Chelsea that said this, said one of the the things that we probably didn't like at the time but love now is that during the week in, in our home, you didn't turn the TV on. On weekdays, no TV. And of course, now you're like, well, how do you keep them from that? That's it. you know, they don't even turn the TV on. We don't even have TVs. Different, right? It's the screen. So in this day and age, it would be no screen time or whatever. But it, it would it was that it created the environment in the words that they they shared to to allow different things to to blossom. The right environment, the right things grow. Uh, and that that was really interesting. And for the uh, negative things they shared. I'm not going to tell you those because then I just can't handle that. So anyway, no, it was it was it was kind of fun. I challenge you with that. So uh, we can learn from other generations, and and that was um, it's it's true in a lot of parts of our lives. So yesterday had another example, and I asked for permission to share this. So, um I learned something from my youngest daughter. She's about to be 21 and so she's not like a baby or anything, but my youngest Chloe and I we were at the home ha- the house yesterday. Kim was out somewhere and uh, and I needed to run an errand and so I was going to put on like Uber cool dad hat and text with the verbiage that the cool hip people, like even the fact that I'm saying it that way, my kids are rolling their eyes like, that's not even how we talk now, Dad. But I was trying to text in such a way that they would understand, like use the lingo, right? Use the abbreviation, use the you know, whatever, all this stuff. It's so funny, I'm watching all the, the, the 20s and below, they're just laughing at me right now, even saying it that way. So you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, because I sent Chloe a text and I asked her for permission to share this screenshot, so some of you will get this right away, but this was the dialogue between my daughter and me. So if you can't see that or whatever, I sent her a little text that said BRB, which means in my mind, hey, I'll be right back, be right back, to which she responded, why are you yelling? I didn't know I was yelling. I was literally, how do you yell with your thumbs? I had no idea. And then I realized, oh, caps, that's what it is. So I did this, and she's like, okay, and that was all right. So, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, let me just tell you be careful with all caps. Be careful with bold face, right? It's like yelling. So that's something I learned right there, Chloe. Thank you for your permission and your grace for allowing me to learn. I was just, it was kind of funny. So anyway, you, you understand where that, that's at. So that's just kind of a funny thing that we um, uh, can learn from generations. Paul has this young man that's in his life that he learned a lot from him in both ways. Second Timothy chapter 1. If you have uh, your Bibles in a print copy or on your tablets or phones, go to second Timothy chapter one. And that's the foundation for where we're going to be for a few minutes this morning. Paul says this, he says, this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he's promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse two, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son, so that we know that everybody in this room is included in message and it applies to you. Timothy was not his biological son. Timothy, we we put this phrase on, was his spiritual son. It was someone that he was training. But Timothy's father, we learned from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's father was not even a believer. Timothy's father was a Greek. And, and as such, there were there were pieces of knowledge from the Lord that needed to be deposited into Timothy that he did not get from his biological dad. We're going to see how some of the other deposits into Timothy's life were very important for him to have the faith that he did. He goes on to say, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did, generational, right there. You see it again. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. There was a strong relationship. Paul leaves, Timothy's sad. And I will be filled with joy when we're together again. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. We're gonna see in just a minute how that this generation really understands the implication of this more than previous generations because this generation has a high majority, the, the greater majority of the kids born in this generation are born to a single parent household. And most of the times, that is a mom. Moms in the room, can I tell you that your input and your deposit into their lives is a great impact on them. Dads, it's time for us to stop passing the buck. It's time for us to stand up and not only be spiritual fathers to the next generation, but to own the responsibility that God has given to us and our own children. I said it earlier in the first service that uh, there was this moment and it, it happened again today. I was, I was, uh, I try as much as possible just to focus on the Lord and worship too, but I love watching you worship. It's just fun to be in the presence of the Lord. I was looking around the room today and I'm just, it was just so encouraging to see young and old dads alike and men in this room with their hands lifted to worship the Lord in, in honor of the King. And can I just encourage us as men in the room, there are a lot of atmospheres and environments where we have been, I would say, incorrectly trained to be reserved and dignified. And that's what a man does. And our personality is to be sophisticated Can I tell you something, that in the presence of the king, all protocol goes out the window as it relates to your personality. There is an atmosphere of worship, and I just want to challenge you as dads, when was the last time you raised your hands in worship? As a young man, when was the last time you focused on what God had done in your life and legitimately said, God, I'm going to give you praise because I'm telling you, your personality is really, um, it's really a dangerous thing to be led by the feelings. And so I I'm just want to coach you a little bit in that. Dads, they're watching. They're watching. And so many of you, I'm so glad that they're watching because your passionate worship is, a, is an opportunity to instill um, a passion in the next generation. So that's a little bit of a sidebar. You know, that's extra. That's, you, know, you don't have to pay for that extra there. Let's look at the key statement that we're gonna look at today and that is this. Generational legacy is perpetuated by lives marked with strong faith. You cannot give the next generation what you do not have. Son, daughter, young person or whatever, please do, do as I say, not as I do. That's a broken, broken solution, it'll never work. You cannot give what you do not have. Today, maybe the, the, the push for us as those that are in that older generation is to make sure we have a strong faith because what we are giving will be, be um, modeled by what we have. A friend of mine that's a mentor in my life says it this way, that, that, that sometimes we have to recognize that, that what we allow in moderation the next generation will allow to the excess. In other words, if you allow a little bit of, of compromise, the next generation will allow a lot. But the, the, the flip of that is also true that sometimes you have to have that strong faith so that they get just a slice. Because if they get just apart from you and apart from their, their youth pastor and their teacher and their coach and those other third voices in their lives, then, then that strong faith is passed on. Generational legacy is perpetuated by lives marked with strong faith. So today I wanna talk just for a few moments and I know the time and if you'll you'll listen fast as the preachers say, I'll talk fast if you listen fast. It's a different different way that uh, I wanna communicate to you today, a little bit more teaching and so there's, there's really two slices of the teaching that I want to give to you today as it relates to this statement right here. But I want to expand this conversation beyond just biological um, parent and child relationship because if I look around this room, I could, uh, could could identify several people in this room that don't have children, never had children, and maybe their children are gone. You have par- I mean, all the different dynamics in the room. The truth of it is, is that God has placed us in a family of believers to recognize the importance of us learning from every generation that's not ours and being an example too. Paul said it to Timothy, to be an example to the believers. Don't let your young age or your youth um, inhibit you from being that teaching mechanism and we can all learn from each other. If you've come today and you said, oh, I wanted to do the list, the parenting list, Wednesdays at seven, Pastor Scott does a parenting class that's incredible. You would want to be involved in that. And it's Wednesday, 7 o'clock, here at the church and and it's just great to see what God's doing as we grow in our parenting. So be involved in that. Here's another disclaimer before I jump into this first part and we're going to look at a list of all the generations that are alive in our world today you're going to see you represented on the screen by an age or by a date range and different uh, characteristics in those spaces. There will be a tendency for you to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. So that's, these are all generalizations. And we talked about this last week, how that it's sometimes dangerous to, to, to have generalizations, right? So I get it. Um, I'm kind of breaking the rule here a little bit to give us some context to understand that in the beauty of our diversity that we about talked about even last week, that in this diversity in the generations represented in this body and, and in our world, we can see those characteristics that are different than us, that are that are alike, and gives us understanding as we re, um, see how that we can grow in our faith in the context of these ge- different generations. So generalizations, don't get stuck on dates, generalizations, all right, here we go. Let's look at some generations. The greatest generation we've heard this phrase before born 1901 to 1927 um and we have a few that uh, of the greatest generation has been called uh, alive and, and still with us and and we need you we need the faith that you have in this place to be represented uh, and, and, and shown in this place. This is a generation that, w- that lived through the Great Depression, that ended up fighting in World War II. They, they, some of the fun statistics or the characterizations of this uh, this is the generation that saw the, 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 the proliferation of jazz and swing music, was born in that, you know, the, the big band era and all that stuff. The, this is a generation characterized by hard work. If you look up in the uh, the dictionary the word grit G R I T it says this generation this is these are the, the hard work and these are very determined they they have a belief in the American dream partly because of what they've went through and seen it sustained right they 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 are they have a high, a high sense of community and responsibility they have a high respect. For authority, the next generation is called the Silent Generation, born 1928 to 1945. This—it's interesting. This there's different terminologies on each uh, each label here or whatever. But this generation actually is labeled that for kind of a negative thing in how they stayed silent during the McCarthy era and McCarthy eraism when communism kind of reared its head in our nation. They have they have an expectation on their kids to earn their way. You gotta earn your keep, right? This is an expectation. They have a very hard work ethic as, as well. There's a desire for stability. They have a high respect for authority. They have loyalty to their employer. Baby boomers, 1946, 1964. I love this picture because I look around and I could, you know, just the whole, the, the, the summer of love, right? It was that. And some of you that are part of this generation, you wish you still had the hair that was represented in those, those pictures. You get it. This is a population that are called the baby boomers because of the population boom after World War II. They defied their parents they protested vietnam they had like i said the summer of love they redefined parenting they were the generation that that shifted to being uh more able to consider their children's perspective on things some of you in the room that are that are children of that generation you say uh not my family but in the most that's that that shift began to take place They had a desire for change and progress. They had a focus on personal fulfillment, and they saw the beginning of a technological innovation. Generation X, born 1965, 1980, this is a generation that I am firmly planted in the middle of, 1972 is when I was born. And I, I just, i was we were having fun with this. My hair was never as cool as those guys, I promise you. Although someone asked about that this morning. I said, I did have the, the Sean Cassidy feathered look at one point back. Some of you remember that, that uh, time, and if not, It's probably better. Uh, This is the uh, this is a a generation that is labeled as uh, sometimes labeled as slackers. They were they were um, those that were the MTV generation, right? When when uh, the MTV came to birth, this was that generation. My generation. We also lived through the height and the the birth of and the height of the AIDS epidemic. We had, to, we had to reconcile this. This generation is also, I, I use this word a little bit light here, so don't, don't stone me too, but responsible for the increase of what we talk about a lot now, and that is LGBTQ plus rights. This started to really pop up during this generation. This generation also was the one that, that uh, it started this idea of helicopter parenting. Does anybody understand and know what that means? This is the, the parenting technique that personal opinion, I think, is is not good. Uh, the, the helicopter parent says, I'm gonna protect my kids and I'm gonna be this helicopter over them so no harm ever comes to little Johnny and little Sally, right? Because they, they're gonna die and it's gonna, you know, whatever, and they're gonna helicopter. And I've I, I experienced some things in my past, so I'm gonna try to eliminate all that and I'm gonna helicopter over them. And my wife, who uh, was a public school teacher, could identify by those parents are really fun to deal with in public education. And some of you teachers in the room, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the head shake, helicopter parent. That was the, the generation X there. Uh, they had independence. They, they, um, they had, and some of the, the more younger people in the room will laugh when I say this generation exhibited high technological savviness we didn't know how to text without yelling, but we, we started to see how we could get that 12 to not flash on the VCR, that was us. That was our breakthrough, right? VCR, Google it, look it up, if you don't, know. whatever. But that was, that was some of the things that we had. We, we started seeing these principles of a work-life balance in Gen X. Then we had the millennials. They were born 1981 to 1996. Some ages go a little bit further into that. But the millennials, um, they lived through 9-11. They remember when Amazon only sold books. Some of you, that just blew your mind right now. You're like, first of all, really? And second of all, what's a book? You know, that's what you're saying there. Their childhood was the first childhood that both uh, uh, experienced a, a world without the internet and with... The internet, it changed everything. Obviously, in this generation, community began to be valued. They were environmentally, con- they are environmentally conscious. They're, they're more apt to allow their children to explore their identity, possibly in response to the helicopter parenting. Just a thought there, but this in their generation. They're very entrepreneurial. They're highly educated and they're very flexible. They'll, they'll change jobs, like whatever. They'll change locations, whatever. And, and they just, they're flexible, they can, they can do one thing and then and shift more so than previous generations uh, that has come before them. Then the next generation, Generation Z, born 1997 to 2010, this generation is totally online and they're connected all the time. They cannot go into a place and not understand what the Wi-Fi password is, how am I, they, they're always connected all the time. They they have an, an atmosphere of inclusivity that when there's a foundation of faith there is really good. When there's not, it can be problematic. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, 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 everybody, it's inclusivity. It's it's this, right? They're politically aware. They're digital natives. Some people label them the screen agers, that they are, they're always screen. They're socially and politically aware, and they're very diverse. The next generation, that's kind of where we're living now, Generation Alpha, different words, obviously, but Generation Alpha born 2011 to present, they will never know a world without social media. moms and dads and older ones in the rooms. That kind of grieves your heart a little bit. And yet, that's the reality of where we're at. How do we navigate it? Well, we learn and we help them grow to be more like Jesus in the middle of this context. They're more diverse than any previous generation. You know how that trend is going. They are the ones that were born during a, a world-transforming event called the, the pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic pandemic. And because of that, it has shaped their perceptions of the world, how and what levels of fear and anxiety that they deal with in this generation more than the previous one. They have seen a a mom and a dad and older generations handle things and let them become very polarizing. They've experienced all this. This is their worldview. This is what they know. They are the one generation that has been, is most likely to be in a, born into a single-parent household. More in this generation are in single-parent than not. They have digital intuitiveness. They don't need to be explained. It doesn't need to be explained to them how to use digital things. They just do it, pick it up and go, right? They're, just, it's, they're intuitive. They will never know a world that is without human and AI interaction. They will never know a world without that. We can either um, be oblivious to that dynamic or recognize that we better lean into that and see how that we can um, make sure that we're passing faith into that context as well. They're diverse and they're individualistic. They are They are an incredibly diverse generation. So, what does this bring us to? Well, it brings us, a lot of us, and depending upon where the generation you fall, it could could bring you to a point of anxiety going, I have no idea how to relate to a person in, in another generation. I, boy, that is just, it's beyond me. I believe that as, as we begin to see how the Holy Spirit can grow and develop in us a strong faith like Lois and Eunice, that our Timothys in the room will have that strong faith as we create the right atmosphere for those things to take place. There's, there's some good news. So um, David Kinnaman, is the president of Barna, they do a lot of research in the church and he's he has this statement about this generation. And it's not necessarily one slice, it's not just generation alpha, but it, it's basically the world, the generations that are alive today are open to the gospel at a higher rate than, than any generation in the past. It's been significant and this is where we should land and, and bring some hope into the room. He says it this way, he says, I think this spiritual openness trend is so significant. Three out of four Americans say that they're spiritually open, that they wanna grow spiritually. 44% say that they're more open to God today than they were before the pandemic. And that's even higher among younger people. Millennials and Gen Z, more than half, 60% of Gen Zers, they said they're more, that they're more interested in God today than they were before the pandemic. And even now, we have additional data to suggest that as many as 84% of all Americans are spiritually open in some way. In just a minute, when I close today, you're gonna hear me say that, that in, next week, we're gonna focus on this relationship with Jesus. Bring people, that need a relationship with Jesus. Why is this important? Because 84% of the people in the culture that you walk in the middle of are open to the conversation. In fact, between services, Pastor Josh came up to me, he's done some research in this uh, in the, the teenagers, whatever whatever generation, some of them alpha, some of them a different generation, that uh, it was a three out of four or two out of three? I figured, two out of three, The stats show now that two out of three teenagers, if you walked up to them, they would would say yes to be an invitation to come to church if they were just asked. They're open. They're open to this, right? So it doesn't matter the generation. Sometimes it, it, it's a cross-generational pull that has impact. Paul, Timothy, Lois, Eunice—you get it. There are stats all over the map on this that are that are encouraging. Bible sales, Barna and Pew Research says Bible sales are up 27% in the past two years. That's an encouraging uh, process uh, that we can engage in. That people are open. Um, let me let me show you just a few things, and, and I know the time, and I'll wrap up here, but there's some sc- uh, screens that I want to show on the big screens here, they're too big for these, that talk about the, the teen's motivation to continue learning about Jesus. Guys, if you'll put that up there for me, there's this stat that says, if you look at the top line, it says basically all teens, so it breaks down to committed and, not, and nominal, but all teens together, the green and the purple, are either very motivated or somewhat motivated to continue to learn more about Jesus. 77% of teenagers in this generation right now say they have some level of motivation to learn more about Jesus. Our student ministries should should be the place where we say, you know what? I want to put my kids in the right right atmosphere to to help the partner together with you in those dynamics. So they go, they're hungry, they're looking for that. What's the trusted source where where this generation gets their information about Jesus? This next slide it talks about that the the uh, the top trusted sources for learning about Jesus. In this next slide, it talks about that. Guys, if you'll switch that slide for me. There we go. Um, this uh, Three different colors here, purple, and then a light blue and green. Purple, committed Christian teens. Blue, nominal, which means they're kinda half in it, whatever, and then all teens. The question was, if you wanted to learn more about Jesus, who or what would you consider a trustworthy source? I wanna focus on just the green line there. That's all teens together. The the highest percentage um, source who teaches me about Jesus is still the family. Mom and dad, it's on you. We wanna help you. We wanna partner together with you in that. But if you look at the statistics, kids, majority of kids, still lean on mom and dad more than any other source. What's interesting about that is the second one there is myself before the Bible, before another Christian, before church leader, pastor, my family or myself. Isn't that interesting? We're gonna look a little bit as to the why behind that as we conclude here today. Um, there's, There's a couple of points that we'll draw from that. All right, how do we take advantage of this spiritual openness across the generations of our culture. I want to present to you a principle today that uh, will help you kind of wrap your brain around this and then we'll, we'll be concluded here today. Go with me in this thought and you're going to say, how is this connected? But I'll show you here in a minute. Scarcity. This principle, I want you to understand, scarcity says this. When something is scarce, the value increases. Right? If diamonds are rare and scarce they 're valuable. If pebbles from a riverbed are everywhere there 's no value to them. Let little value the scarcity of an item of a thing increases the value in it as it relates to how we engage cross generationally and in the church this idea of scarcity i 'd like for that to be the lens through which I um, uh, talk to you about two different things, and that's the, the topics of content and community. So this, uh, when I was listening through this, this idea this week, it was like the Holy Spirit just dropped this kind of mic drop moment. And I was like, ah, I get it. So I want you to go with me on this journey a little bit today. So content and community. Go back 100 years, or go back 50, 60 years in our society, uh, in early years of our nation and society, community was very prevalent. We had community everywhere. We had families that, that ate dinner together every night. They, because of a lack of technology, or innovation, we couldn't travel as much, so we were t- we were close. That family unit was was closer. We we were we were like I said, had dinner every night. We had family vacation. We were we were there together. We were very communal. There there wasn't other. Um, um, Opportunities for us, technology restrictions caused this. No, not as many cars. Even you know, back in before uh, car travel was there, air travel limited. So our community was very um, present, and as such, it, it was it, it was less valuable. Not that it wasn't valued, but it just wasn't as scarce. You know, what was scarce during those early years in our society was content. He say, Pastor John, what do you mean? Well, in, in the early days of our nation, content, it was hard to come by. You had to wait for the newspaper. You had to wait for that letter from a loved one. You didn't know. Some of you that that uh, had loved ones in wars in different areas, you had to wait to make sure that they were okay. Now it's like go CNN.com, FoxNews.com, whatever, and you can see live report from, the, and you know exactly whatever. There's, there's a, a stat that I read this past week that we we engage with more content in the first 30 minutes of our day and the last 30 minutes of our day via our screens than our grandparents and parents consumed in over a month. One day, 30 minutes, we take in more content now. Content then was 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 way more scarce and as such it was more valuable. Take it in the context of church and religion. Why do I know this? Because we, we hear stories and we were part of some of us in the older generation. We would travel great distances to hear that, that preacher. We would go to a place where they were having a tent revival to hear evangelist so-and-so preach, right? Because you could not hear that message as as prevalent as you can today. Content was was scarce and as such it was more were valuable. We leaned into that. Community was everywhere, and and so that value quotient was a little bit bit different. Today, you already are there. You understand the dynamic that we're dealing with today. Content is everywhere. Content is is. If you pull out your phone, you can you can go right now and find. Fifty million uh, pastors and, and churches and whatever that are doing messages on this topic today, and you can find them anywhere, and you can listen to them on your way home right now. You don't have to go anywhere. You can go look at the last however many weeks of our messages. You never even had to be in the room. Content is everywhere. Some of you that are joining online, let me just kind of whatever get in the room. You're missing community, right? It's not just about content, but but the content is everywhere. We can we can listen to messages. We can have the Bible. Uh, uh, app, I love it, I'm not, that's not a negative at all, the content is everywhere. But if we're not careful, because it's everywhere, we allow it to lose its value. But community now, and this, even though we have the ability to be more connected than ever before, if you go into any restaurant and you look around at families sitting at the table, what do you see most times? I'm not talking to the people around me, I'm engaged with somebody across the world on a different, and again, I'm not being you know, the get off my lawn guy a little bit here, but I'm not saying all of that's bad, I'm just saying recognize that community is very scarce. Now, we're connected, but community and, and doing life together and having one-on-one relationship can be scarce, and as such, the value increases. How do we navigate that in the church? It makes us come to an interesting dynamic where we, not corporately, only corporately, but uh, individually, we have to recognize that both community and content are tools that God has given us to be salt and light across generational lines and into our communities. How does this apply in our lives? Both things that we talked about today, the generational differences, and then this idea of content and community. Well, we need to make or we need to strengthen a relationship with someone of another generation. What if you did it today? Find someone in a different generation and invite them to lunch. Invite yourself to lunch with them. All the kids are doing that to their parents right now. Free lunch day or whatever. But find someone to, to, to do that and invite them into to your space I, and have that relationship. You will, and ask them a question. Hey, tell me about your, your interaction, your faith in Jesus. How did you come to know Jesus? Let them tell the story. And then just listen. You're gonna engage in that, that content and the community involved there. Find every opportunity to do that. And then finally, uh, measure the amount and quality of content and community in your life. This is one of those self-assessment things that we, we, should, we should take an inventory in our lives and say, God, what level of community am I having in my faith experience? Who, outside of, uh, it's gotta start at home, But outside of home, who's following you? Who's your Timothy? Can Can I use a practical illustration of this and you can see by looking around, there's a seat for that person here at Calvary. We've got room. Who does God want you to reach out and say, hey, would you come be a part of this community with? Because there's the truth of the message of the gospel is, is, is best communicated in that context of community. Yeah, generations are different, but in the context of content and community, we can make sure that this legacy goes on. We're gonna conclude. I'm gonna ask the team to come help me. There's a verse that I want you to just be encouraged by. It's Psalm 78. This is such an impactful verse um, that God has used for so many different reasons in my own life and a vision, as vision for going f- forward. And I wanna leave this with you today. Psalm 78 verse four, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We can do that in the context of content and community and recognize that both of those, they work together. God has placed us in a unique spot. So let me give you a little application that goes beyond this week. Next week, um, we're gonna talk about relationship status and our relationship specifically with Jesus. You say, Pastor John, don't we do that every week? Yeah, but we're gonna be very focused and, and it's gonna be just one of those, if if you need a a an example of how to to just here's the gospel message That's where we're going to be next week here's why we're doing that because there's someone possibly in a different generation that you know you have community with that needs to be here to hear that and we're going to have a real um, focused opportunity um, for that person that you've got in your mind right now that you know ah this should be the time bring them we're going to talk about Jesus, the relationship status, our relationship with Jesus and how it impacts our lives. It's going to be a, a fun day. The other piece of next week has to do with this verse. I'm so excited about some of the the vision pieces that we're going to be talking about next week. It's going to be, um, it's going to be exciting. You want to be here. I'm, I'm like, I'm excited to to talk to you about this, but this verse is foundational for a fulfillment of something that we believe God is calling us to to be involved in as it relates to this phrase, legacy stewardship. And we're going to take a little bit of an extended time to talk about what that means for Calvary going forward and how we across generations can have a part in that vision going forward. And you don't want to miss it. It's going to be one of those moments where we will, uh, we'll put a line in the sand and we'll say, God, from from this day forward, you're gonna have an impact in, in the generations to come. It's gonna be exciting. God is doing some significant things when we make sure our relationships align with his word and are pleasing to him. In all the different areas we've talked about in our in our marriage relationships, because the way God interacts with the church is directly related to how we view marriage. and. In the second week, we talked about those that look and think differently. And now today in these generations, it's important. It's important for us to understand. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you have in store for us as we lean into your word. God, help us to see that God, even as Paul related to Timothy and, and strengthened the faith that was already put there by his, his mom and grandma and those, those before him, God, that we can have an impact in generations. And it's not just older to younger, but God, it's younger to older because Paul would later write to Timothy and he would say, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but be an example to the believers. And so there is this this reverse mentality I would love to pray together with you. And the Bible says that every one of us has has fallen short of God's glory and that the wages of our sin that removes us from that relation or separates us from the relationship with God, the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God that he offers to us is eternal life. The only way we can have that restored relationship is accepting forgiveness that he purchased for us through his son, Jesus. And if you're here today and you know that there's sin that separates you from God and you, you you need a savior, I would love to pray together with you. And the way I know who I'm praying with is for you just to simply raise your hand and maybe draw uh, eye contact with me today. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you and you say, Pastor John, would you include me in this prayer? Would you do that? Would you just lift your hand and and just give me a, a look here so that I can recognize you today and then we're gonna pray. Anyone today? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, buddy. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Awesome. Church, all over this room, one of the great honors that we have is to pray together with these that have raised their hand to just ask Jesus to come into our heart. So I'm gonna ask you to join me. And if, if that's you, if you raised your hand, or if you should have raised your hand, just make this the prayer of your heart. And the Bible says that he responds. That he's faithful and just to forgive us that he will respond to that heart. So all over this room, pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I need a savior. I believe that you died on a cross to purchase my forgiveness. I admit my sin. Forgive me make me new. I want to live for you from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that anyone does that, the old is gone, the new has come. Can you celebrate with those that prayed that prayer for the first time with me today? Amen. Amen. Stand with me all over this room. Thank you, church. I know it's a little bit later than normal. I just... I appreciate you engaging in what God's telling us as it relates to our our relationships. I'm gonna ask my prayer team to come forward and and make their way to the front. Some of them will be in the back as well under the praise signs. And the reason why we do this is because the Bible says to do that. The Bible says, is anyone sick? Is anyone uh, that need prayer, that they are to call for the elders of the church and the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's that posture of the heart. God responds to his people in prayer. And so we believe that the Bible is, is true in that and we want to join our hearts together with you in prayer. If you raised your hand just a few minutes ago to ask Jesus to come into your heart, we would love to to connect you um, with some next steps, and that's one of those things that we would love to pray together with you as well. So find these one of these people, and they would love to help you in that journey as well. So it's been a great day, and uh, we're excited. And little Savian's awake right now; he's he's ready to go. Now he slept. All right thank you, family, for letting us celebrate with you and uh, and, and your son. It's, a, it's an honor. I appreciate that as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May uh, his face shine upon you in your coming and going, and may you be a reflection of God's grace in your families and the community and all over the triad. God bless you. You're dismissed. We would love to pray together with you before you leave. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday at 7 at prayer and or Bible study. God bless you.